Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. You can all open your Bibles to the book of Lamentations. I remember it was a very beautiful morning, blue sky, bright, shining sun, weather was perfect, and I was living in St. Louis, traveling to seminary, got to my early morning seminary class, we completed the class, it was the very end of the class that somebody ran into the classroom and said, attention everybody, I just saw that some planes crashed into the Twin Towers, the World Trade Centers, and they're on fire, and nobody knows really what's going on. And so, of course, we were all shocked. We were stunned. We scrambled out of the classroom, found a place at the seminary where there was a television. I remember the reception was really poor for whatever reason, but we kind of all crammed into this room, and we were watching on the TV the aftermath of these planes who had crashed into this building. There was just utter and complete and total chaos. And at about that time, we didn't really know a a lot of what was going on. We didn't know the extent of the damage. We didn't know how many people were killed. There was talk of it being a terrorist attack, however. And so, you know, we were all wondering, are are there more attacks coming? I mean, is this done? Is this going to be widespread throughout the nation? And I just remember being absolutely stunned, and all of us at the seminary were stunned. Classes were canceled. Special session was held with some of the professors to have like a little Q&A to help us kind of process what was going on. I remember the late night comedy shows that night were all really serious. And there was this really kind of strange experience that, that we had. Mary and I lived in Ferguson. Ferguson was very near to the airport, and the airport um, you know, it was where planes were coming in and out of. And so we lived in a neighborhood where there were planes constantly going over our heads, landing uh, at the airport. But that night there were no planes. You know, the sky was just silent because they'd landed all the planes in the nation, you might remember. So the nation was in shock. We were stunned. Um, you might remember, remember uh, President George Bush, third game of the World Series, he went out into Yankee Stadium and through that first pitch of the game and the crowd just cheered, went crazy, went nuts and there was just something about that act that ended up being kind of a unifying action for the country. It's like the whole nation was unified but we were unified in our grief and in our sorrow about what had happened. And it seems like that's pretty much the last time our nation has been united in anything, it seems. The last time we were united, we were united in grief. Well, the book of Lamentations has to do with something very similar, a nation united in grief and sorrow. Not the United States, but a little nation called Judah. Not New York City, but in a city called Jerusalem. Not a terror attack from Al-Qaeda, but an invasion from a nation called Babylon. But the result was very similar, the same thing a nation in mourning, in grief, and in pain. And that's what we're going to be looking at here today as we continue our sermon series called Route 66. We are moving our way through the entire Bible, one sermon per Bible book. We started in Genesis. God willing, we'll eventually reach Revelation. 
And here we are in Lamentation. If you don't have a Bible with you, there is a paperback Bible underneath one of the chairs in front of you. You can grab one, and our passage is on page 401. But here's just some basic background information about the book of Lamentations. Uh, the author of the book. Okay, slides not advancing. Thank you, Isaac. You might have to help me with this. It, it is on, I'm confirming. It is on, but not working. Um, so Lamentations, written by Jeremiah, we believe. Uh, you might remember last week we covered the book of Jeremiah. So Jeremiah and Lamentations kind of go together. Lamentations kind of a sequel, I guess, maybe, to Jeremiah. Uh, written sometime between 587 and 516 B.C. Themes in the book are suffering, pain, sorrow, uh, the consequences of sin and God's faithfulness, uh, the most significant event is, again, this revolves around the fall of the city of Jerusalem in 587 B.C. The book is organized into five chapters. Each chapter is a separate poem, and each poem is a lament, um, almost kind of a dirge. Uh, this is not, in most parts anyway, an uplifting, feel-good book. Uh, there's a lot of sorrow and pain <clears throat> in this book, but this book is capturing the truth that we can all identify with, that we all know to be true, and that life is very often hard. Life is often disappointing. Um, life is often filled with sorrow and pain and trauma. And often we feel abandoned by God. Often we don't know what God is doing in our lives. We feel lonely and there is a certain pressure that many of us feel, but I think that pressure even exists in the church, this pressure to kind of hold down our darker thoughts, to hold down our more negative feelings of sorrow and grief. We feel a little shame for whatever reason to articulate or to share the thoughts that are really in our hearts. We feel that pressure to come and act like everything is great when everything might not be so great. And Lamentations helps give articulation to that pain and sorrow that we so often feel. So we're going to read chapter 3, verses 1 through 40. Sounds like a lot of text, but they are kind of short verses. So if you're able to stand, please do so now, and we will read this together. Lamentations 3, 1 through 40. <clears throat> I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without, my without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. 
I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men to crush underfoot all the prisoners of the earth, to deny a man justice in the presence of the Most High, to subvert a man in his lawsuit, the Lord does not approve. Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Why should a living man complain, a man, about the punishment of his sins? Let us test and examine our ways. And return to the Lord. Lord, please give us comfort and hope as we read and hear from your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So what do we take from this uh, very sober text in Lamentations 3? God here in his mercy is giving us instruction about how to deal with sorrow and pain in our lives and the first thing that I want to show you from this is that we should be realistic. We should be realistic about the difficulties and sadnesses in our lives. There is permission given in this book for Christians to be honest about this. We don't need to bury these disappointments and pains that we deal with. We don't need to ignore them. We don't need to act like uh, it's reflecting something wrong in our soul. We don't need to rationalize it away. We don't need to pretend that things are better than they are. Jeremiah here is speaking in raw honesty about his response to this situation. He's being realistic about things. He's not putting a happy, glossy sheen on what is otherwise a hard life. And in God's wisdom, he has made sure that these words are included in Holy Scripture. I mean, think about that. How important it must be to God for his people to have access to a text like this. So here, here's the context. Um, sometime, when you get some time, you can go back to the end of Jeremiah, chapter 52, and you can read about the destruction of Jerusalem. This is a picture of the Babylonian Empire. <clears throat> Um, a huge empire, 
you can see modern-day Turkey here and Iraq here, Iran here, Syria, and the Babylonian Empire covering a good portion of that entire area. And eventually the Babylonians invaded Israel and Judah, and you can see Jerusalem right here. And this is what the book of Lamentations is about, that particular event, the Babylonians coming, invading, and plundering Jerusalem. And Isaiah 52, excuse me, Jeremiah 52 gives us some details about that. It says the Babylonians came in and they went in the temple and all these things we learned about in the Old Testament that God commanded that uh, be included in the temple, they were all taken out and rushed away. And the Babylonians set fire to the temple. They, they burned it down. They went to the walls around the city of Jerusalem and they toppled all those walls. They found the king of Judah, a man named Zedekiah. They took Zedekiah and they slaughtered Zedekiah's sons right in front of him so he had to watch. And then they gouged out his eyes and then they threw him in prison and let him languish there until his death. Babylonians then took the people in Judah and they escorted them out. They kidnapped them, they took them, and they put them in exile to Babylon. And that's what we call the exiles. So we call it the exiles. The children answered here just a moment ago. The people were exiled out of Judah to Babylon. If you look at the very beginning here of Lamentations 3, verse 1, Jeremiah says, I am the man who has seen affliction. And so from this verse, we believe that Jeremiah was present and that he actually saw at least some of this going on. He was in Jerusalem at the time and witnessed these horrors. Just like we know many people were in New York City and they witnessed horrific atrocities happening in that city when those planes crashed in to those buildings. And Jeremiah is overcome with sorrow, overcome with pain as he reflects on what he has seen. And so that's what he's doing here in the first 20 or so verses. He's just describing the effect that this is having on him. So first of all, he talks about the physical pain that this is causing him. If you look in verse 4, he says, God has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He's broken my bones. He's probably just describing the way this trauma has affected him physically. Maybe not that his bones were literally broken, but they felt like they were. Verse 13, he drove uh, his bow, from verse 12, set his bow and target for his arrow, and they were, that arrow was driven into my kidneys. He, it's like God is shooting an arrow right into my stomach. This is what this feels like, physically, to witness the fall of Jerusalem. But we also see an expression of emotional pain. Emotional pain. Okay, it's too far. Very good. Emotional pain. Um, verse 5. Verse 4 and 5. No, excuse me. Verse 5. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness. His heart is filled with bitterness. In verse 6, he's made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He feels like a dead man. He's hidden in the dark among corpses. Verse 20, he talks about his soul remembering what he had seen and being bowed down, being dejected within him. And in verse 17, maybe the clearest and most explicit way to describe the way Jeremiah is feeling, my soul is bereft of peace and I have forgotten what happiness is. And have you ever felt like that? I used to be happy 
I know what it feels like to be happy, but it's been so long since I've been happy, I don't even know what that's like anymore. Christians sometimes feel that way. You know, we sang a song here last Sunday, um, and the chorus says something like, you know, I'm, I'm able to see, or God has given me the ability to see, and now I am happy all the day. Maybe you remember we sang that last week. And now I am happy all day. I wonder if Jeremiah could sing those lyrics. Now I am happy all the day. Do you feel happy all the day, every day? I don't. Your pastor doesn't. And maybe you don't either. I don't think Jeremiah did. I don't think it's realistic to be thinking that we should be happy all the day. That was Jeremiah's experience here. I have forgotten what happiness is. But then there's spiritual pain as well that Jeremiah talks about. Verse 3, against me he turns his hand. He's talking about God. He feels like God's hand is against him the whole day long, repeatedly, again and again. Verse 8, um, he cries for help. God is shutting out my prayer. He's blocked my ways. It's like there's an obstacle. I can't seem to communicate or connect with him. Verse 10, he compares God to a bear or a lion who seems to be waiting in hiding to tear him to pieces. And in verse 18, I say my endurance has perished. I mean, I am out of energy. My stamina is done. I can't do this anymore. And so has my hope from the Lord. I have Lost hope? That's what Jeremiah is saying. His hope in God is lost. He's experiencing this emotional pain. He's experiencing this physical pain. And I wonder if you've ever felt like this as a Christian. And maybe when you felt like this, you thought, there must be something wrong with me. I must be a bad Christian because I'm feeling like this. And I think God provides lamentations to us so that we can see that there is a place for God's faithful people to experience these kinds of emotions. Jeremiah was a godly man, a very godly man, a faithful man, an obedient man, and yet he felt like this before God, and he's being realistic about it. And you can too. You can be realistic about the pain and the suffering that you're experiencing, be realistic about it with God, be realistic about it with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You might be thinking here that this reminds you a little bit of somebody else in the Bible, and that is Job, right? I mean, the whole book of Job is about suffering, but I'm going to point out a couple differences between Job and Lamentations, and one of them is this. We just need to keep this in mind for contextual purposes, but Job is expressing suffering, pain, sorrow from an individual perspective where Lamentations is speaking of suffering and pain and sorrow from a corporate perspective. Jeremiah and Lamentations is thinking primarily in terms of pain and sorrow that's been inflicted on the community to which he belongs. Whereas Job, it's more of an individual experience. And so that is something we need to keep in mind. They're not quite the same, but there are occasions when a community needs to come together and lament as a group. I mean, praise God, I think new life has been spared largely from significant pain and sorrow where we would have to come together and lament. But that day might come where we have to come into this room and, 
and just weep with one another and express our sorrow. You know, Westminster Presbyterian, the church that planted New Life many years ago, had a pastor who later committed suicide. That is an opportunity for lament. There are congregations whose buildings burn down. You know, that's a horrible atrocity for a community to have to deal with. And that's an appropriate time to come together and lament. When Mary and I were in St. Louis and I was at seminary, we were attending a church called Grace and Peace in downtown St. Louis. And um, that church was just a, it was just a melancholy church. There was just a kind of a sadness that hung over that congregation. And you know, as I describe that, you might be thinking, well, why did you go there? I mean, that doesn't sound like a good place to be part of, but Mary and I happened to be going through a really hard time at that time. We were sad. And there was something refreshing to be in a congregation where people could be so open about their lament and their pain. Uh, that congregation also had a pastor who years previously had committed suicide, and I think that was part of what created this kind of black cloud. There was a, a Sunday morning at Grace and Peace, and what they would do is set up a microphone um, and allow people to come up and just speak into the microphone or say a prayer. And there was a Sunday when a guy stood up, went to the microphone, and recited the whole third chapter of Lamentations by memory. He just stood, recited it, and sat down. And I'm telling you, that had a really powerful effect on me and on Mary and on that whole community. It was so refreshing to hear somebody stand up in the midst of God's people and be realistic about the sorrow and difficulty and pain of his life. Friends, let's not lose sight of the fact that we do have much to rejoice in. I mean, that is true. We are Christians. Our sins are forgiven. We have been pardoned. Our transgressions have been removed as far as the east is from the west. We, we have eternal life. God loves us. God loves you. God is committed to us. We have a glorious future, a resurrected future to look forward to. And so we don't want to lose sight of that. The scriptures do command us to rejoice in the Lord always. That's true. And yet at the same time, God in his mercy gives us space to honestly express our sorrow and to be realistic about life. That's the first thing. Second thing, accept responsibility. Another difference here between Job and Lamentations is this. Not only is Job an individual expression, while Lamentations is a corporate expression, but in Job's case, the suffering that he was enduring was undeserved, whereas in Lamentations, the suffering is deserved. Big difference. So remember the story, Route 66. I've been telling you the Bible story. Remember God calls Abraham. He, he forms out of Abraham the nation of Israel, and from Israel would come this Messiah, but in the meantime, God sends Israel into the promised land, and he puts them in the promised land so that they would be a holy people, so that they would be a light to the nation, so that they would reflect to the whole world what God is like and what God's people should be like, and God enters into covenant with them, and he says, here is the terms of the covenant. If you obey me, there will be many blessings. But if you disobey, there will be curses. And one of those curses will be exile out of this land. I'm giving you the land as a gift. But if you're not obedient to me, you're going to lose that privilege. 
And just like I cast Adam and Eve out of the garden for their sin, I'm going to cast you out of the promised land for your sin. And so Deuteronomy chapter 28, that is laid out very clearly and very carefully. Well, what do the people do? They are continuously disobedient. They engage in various forms of idolatry. They adopt the religious practices of the nation. They are repeatedly disobedient. God sends prophets to challenge them and to rebuke them and to admonish them and to call them back to repentance. And this goes on for hundreds and hundreds of years. And the people don't respond. Sometimes they do temporarily, but then they fall back into their disobedience. And so finally... God's mercy comes to an end and he says, I'm going to do what I said I was going to do back in Deuteronomy 28 and I'm going to vomit you out of the land. And that's exactly what we're reading about here in Lamentations chapter 3. But the point here is that <clears throat> this is exactly what God said he was going to do. And it's a righteous judgment on the disobedience of the people. And Jeremiah is acknowledging this. He's accepting responsibility here on behalf of the people. And he does this in a number of ways. If you go forward to verse 34, here's how he articulates this. He says, to crush underfoot all the prisoners of the earth and to deny a man justice in the presence of the Most High and to subvert a man in his lawsuit, the Lord does not approve. What he's saying here is these are examples of real injustice. None of these things are right, and God does not approve of these things. In other words, God is not an unjust God. God desires justice. And so he goes on in verses 37 to 39, and he says, so who has spoken, and it came to pass, unless the Lord commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High, the good and bad come? So this is in reference to the destruction of Jerusalem, and he's saying, God is really the one who planned and determined that this was going to happen. God is the one who brought the destruction on Jerusalem. He used Babylon as his instrument of judgment, but this is God who commanded this to happen. And God is not an unjust God. So he's doing this for a just reason, and so that's why he says in verse 39, why then should a living man complain, a man, about the punishment of his sins? You know, in the book of Job, there's this complaint from Job, why am I suffering? And the whole point of Job is that, Job, you did not sin to bring upon this suffering. That's what his friends thought, but that's not what God thought. That's the whole point of the book. But it's very different here in Lamentations. The reason that God's people are suffering is because they have sinned against God, and God promised that he was going to do this, and he did. And so in verse 40, he sums it up. Let us therefore test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. So big, big difference here. Now, it's very important, I think, for us to kind of keep these two things in mind because very often when it comes to the personal suffering that we endure in our lives, very often we cannot trace our suffering to some specific sin that, that we've committed. When we suffer, it's not necessarily because God is punishing us for something that we did. And this is something I think a lot of Christians kind of carry with them. Things are hard in my life. It must be because of what I did five, ten years ago. It must be because I don't read my Bible more. It must be because of some various sin that I have committed. But Job is telling us, no, that's, that's, not, that's not necessarily the case. Let's just, you know, for example, let's say parents give birth to a blind child. They might be wondering, what did I do to deserve this? And in fact, in biblical times, that's what a lot of people thought. It's a sin. It's God's punishment. But, 
This is addressed explicitly in John chapter 9. As he passed by, Jesus saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, and he was born blind. You know, you got a bad thing in your life. It must be because you committed a sin. And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents. That's not the reason why this is happening. But that the works of God might be displayed in him. So we, we need to keep that in mind. That's very often the case. And yet here in Lamentations, what we're seeing is a situation where the suffering and the pain is deserved on God's people's part. So I mean, just an example of this. Let's say a person gets inebriated, just gets flat down drunk, gets in a car, drives down the street, runs somebody over, gets caught, charged with involuntary manslaughter, put in jail. And there's this man who's committed this crime, and he's in jail. Now, is that person in jail supposed to be complaining to God about his unjust suffering? That is not the appropriate place for a complaint. That's the appropriate place for confession. That's what that person ought to do. Confess that sin. Confess that transgression. Look to God for forgiveness and the abundant pardon that he will provide. But there's that difference to be kept in mind here. And the people of God here in Lamentations are accepting responsibility. It's our fault. This is something all of us have to think through in terms of the suffering and the difficulties we're dealing with. Is this related to something that I've done or, or not? And if it is, what kind of confession and repentance needs to occur in my life to keep it from happening again? Accept responsibility. But the last thing that we see, the last thing we see here is that we are called to remember God's faithfulness. Remember God's faithfulness. In the midst of your pain, your struggle, your difficulty, remember God's faithfulness. There's a book that I read recently by Cormac McCarthy um, called The Road. I think they made a movie of it. I haven't seen the movie. The book was, was really good, but pretty dark, pretty bleak, a little bit like Lamentations. It's about this father and son who are on this journey and they're traveling across the country, and it's this very bleak landscape. Something's happened. We're never really told what, but basically the whole country is shut down. Cities are decimated, kind of like Jerusalem. Um, it's just, you know, a cutthroat, every man for himself situation. And so the father and the son are traveling. And um, the son asks the father at one point, he says, Dad, what's the, what's the bravest thing you've ever done? And he says, getting up this morning. Getting up this morning. <laughs> I mean, maybe you felt like that too. Mornings are hard sometimes, aren't they? When you're carrying a lot of burden, sorrow, and pain. Sometimes mornings are the worst. <laughs> sometimes it's hard to get out of bed. And that's why I find it so interesting that Jeremiah in this chapter gives us some help about what to do in the morning. <laughs> and it's a mental exercise that is set forth for us. And if you look at verse 20, 21, here's what he says. This I call to mind. I call it to mind. He, he's afflicted. He's experiencing the physical, emotional, and spiritual pain that we've talked about. But he takes a moment 
to call something to mind, to intentionally remember something. He, he decides that he is going to lift his gaze from the circumstances that are causing him suffering and to fix his gaze on a particular attribute of God. He's going to look at who God is and meditate and think about this attribute. And the attribute that he thinks of is the faithfulness of God. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new. There it is. Every morning, great is your faithfulness. Every morning, God's mercies are new. If we will take time to call them to mind. I mean, I think there's something very ordinary about what Jeremiah is saying. Every morning, it's like just to take him literally. What he's saying, it's like as soon as his head lifts up off the pillow, he begins remembering things like, what a good night's rest I had. What a blessing it is that I've been protected, that the roof over my head was maintained. I can put my feet over my bed and stand up on my own two feet. I can get up. I am alive. God has blessed me with life. And I'm going to go in the kitchen and get a good strong cup of coffee that God has provided for me in his mercy and his grace. God has been faithful to me. That's what Jeremiah is, is telling himself. As I reflect on the course of my life, I see God's mercy, his expression of love to me in countless ways. Friends, if you will call those things to mind, you will remember them too. And the result of that, according to verse 21, calling to mind, therefore I have hope. That's where hope comes from. Fixing your mind on God and his goodness, his steadfast love, his faithfulness, his constant commitment to you who trust in him. Maybe you could make a note to do this tomorrow morning. As soon as you wake up, call to mind God's faithfulness to you. The guy who wrote Great is Thy Faithfulness, which we're going to sing here in just a minute, his name is Thomas Chisholm. And he wrote that song not because God had delivered him from some major crisis in his life. It wasn't because of some miracle that had happened in his life. Thomas Chisholm simply wrote that song because um, he had held, had some health problems and wasn't able to continue in ministry and kind of worked a desk job for most of his life. Uh, so there's a little bit of disappointment there, but what Chisholm said just shortly before his death, he said, when I look back on my life, all I see are wonderful displays of God's providing care that has filled my heart with astonishing gratefulness. <laughs> astonishing gratefulness. Friends, I think if you give yourself to that task, you too will have hope in the midst of whatever pain or struggle you're dealing with. And the good news, friends, is that God has not only provided for us in the ordinary, routine, trivial matters of our lives, but he has met our very deepest and very greatest need. And that is reconciliation with our Heavenly Father. He's been faithful to meet that need as well. He has sent his son Jesus just like he promised. Just like he promised. All the way back in Genesis 3.15 when he said a descendant was going to come and was going to crush the head of the serpent. And after all those years, God was faithful to provide for us, pardon for our sins, eternal life, 
adoption into God's family, the promise of resurrected bodies, all through the work of a man named Jesus who the scriptures tell us carried our sorrows, the one who was oppressed and afflicted, the one who has borne our griefs, the one who is called a man of sorrows. And where that is displayed most explicitly is right there on the cross where he was dying for your sins and for mine. And in his resurrection, we have this promise that he is going to make every wrong right and he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. And he who called us is faith and he will do it. Call that to mind and have hope. God, we thank you for the honesty of your word. Thank you for giving us the tools to articulate our pain. And thank you, Jesus, that you have promised to come again and fix everything that's wrong. We long for you to come and say, Jesus, come quickly. In your name we pray. Amen.